Hi, my name is Eloise, and welcome to the Take Me to the World Musical Theater Podcast. This is a podcast where I talk about musicals. This is episode 18, and on today's episode, I'm going to do a very random episode about my five favorite musicals that I haven't seen before. I'll go into more details in a second. First, some announcements. Sometimes I swear because musicals fucking rule. Sometimes I spoil musicals because I'm discussing them in depth. With this episode, I don't think I'm going to be doing that, but if I do end up spoiling a show, I'll come back and an editing Eloise will insert a little caveat here. I am a musical theater enthusiast. I'm not an expert, so I might get some things wrong, but this isn't really an episode where I'm going to be analyzing these musicals. This is just my opinion. Finally, on my blog, I have a resource post for each of the episodes of this podcast. If you go to takemetotheworld.com, go on the podcast category at the top of the page, and that'll take you to all the past episodes of this podcast. You can listen to the episode, you can subscribe on several different platforms, and I'll link to any of the shows that I talk about, where you can get tickets if that's possible, where you can listen to the cast recording, and where, if it's possible, you can watch the musical. But for this episode, you'll learn that that's not really possible, although there are a couple related documentaries that I will include if I can find the links to them. Back in the early episodes of this podcast, might have even been the first one, I kind of talked a little bit about how I grew up in a smaller city with not a lot of access to musical theater. Like, usually there was like one big touring production of a musical that would come and it was something that had been a hit for years, like Cats or Mamma Mia or Annie, and no shade to those shows, great, but there wasn't a lot of like new theater coming up. So when it comes to me discovering new musicals, lots of times it would be me going to the library and picking out a cast recording for an album, or me finding out about it on the internet, but back in those days it was early internet because I'm old. It wasn't just like popping on Instagram and seeing somebody post about a bunch of musicals. There's a lot of musicals that I have come to discover just through listening to the cast recording because I've had no other way to access these musicals. That's what this episode is about. I basically went on to Deezer and I went to my Broadway Bitch playlist that is available on the resource page if you wanted to check that out. And I kind of went in order of all the albums that I have on there, which I put those on very randomly. I just kind of went through and I went, what are the shows that I've never seen before? And when I say I've never seen these shows, I mean I've never seen them on stage. I've never seen a filmed adaptation of them because there isn't one that legally exists. Now, I do know for all Broadway musicals, they film the musical in part for like using for trailers and and that sort of thing and for award shows, I believe. But I also know that you can't just go and watch that filmed version of the musical. Uh, I believe they keep that in an archive at the New York Public Library and you have to have special permission to go see the film. You have to give a good reason, not just like, I want to watch this musical because I haven't seen it before. And then you also can only watch it at the library. There's no, can't take it home or anything like that. I'll kind of talk about some of these shows, how I came about discovering them, and sort of what I think about them with the very limited knowledge that I have, knowing just the cast recording and maybe like googling the plot on Wikipedia. With some of these shows, they are sung through musicals, which means everything's sung through. There's no scenes of dialogue in between. So if you listen to some of these cast recordings from front to back in order, first song to last song, you'll get a pretty good idea of what the show is about. Some of the other shows, you might need to go to Wikipedia to reference a little bit of context. If you don't want spoilers, if you wanted to go in seeing these shows new, especially the first one because it's still on Broadway, maybe avoid listening to the cast recording, but like honestly you should listen to the cast recording because it's really good. 
All of these shows have been on Broadway at some point. All of them have closed on Broadway except one, and that's the first one we're going to be talking about. These are the five musicals that I have listened to and loved but never seen before. So first up is Hades Town. Hades Town is based on the Greek mythology story of Orpheus and Eurydice. It won a whole whack load of Tonys, I think back in 2019 was the year it was nominated. So I was living in Dublin, Ireland for a little bit. And while I was over in Ireland, I was, I don't know, on the, I think a Reddit musical thread kind of thing. Somebody posted about how they went to see Hades Town in Edmonton. Well, Edmonton is where I'm from. That's my hometown. And so Hades Town started off Broadway. It actually started Anais Mitchell. I might be saying her name right. She started as sort of this like song cycle, folk story kind of thing. It kind of, it's had a lot of different iterations. So eventually it moved off Broadway or to a workshop. And then usually with most musicals, they, they'll be a workshop or it'll be an off-Broadway show or something like that. And then before it goes to Broadway, they'll take it out of town for out-of-town tryouts. So they'll take it to a city like Chicago or Boston or Seattle or Denver, a city outside of New York to see how general mainstream American, North American audiences do with the show. Hades Town was the first time a show had ever come and done something like that. I believe, at least the first time it's ever been done in Edmonton, and I believe possibly the first time it's ever been done in Canada. There might have been some shows that, I can't say for sure, maybe Toronto's gotten one before, but it's not something that happens here. Now, Edmonton's known for having a pretty vibrant theater community. We've got the second largest fringe festival in the world, and we, we're big with theater sports and other things like that, but for like Broadway musicals, it's usually whatever big tour comes, and that's usually Broadway across Canada, and then whatever your local community theater or school wants to put on, which is usually something like Little Shop of Horrors or something like that. Something pretty popular that people are going to know about and know of and want to go see. So Hades Town was a totally different kind of musical. Like I said, it's based on a Greek mythology story, but it's not like a Greek chorus kind of musical the way something like The Frogs by Stephen Sondheim is. It uses like an Americana folk I don't know if there's like a particular setting, but the setting for it, it looks really interesting. But it was the only time, the only time I ever, while I was in, I, while I was living in Ireland, where I was sad to be in Ireland and not in Edmonton, because I would have really loved to see this musical. Because as soon as I listened to the cast recording for the off-Broadway cast, because that's what it was available at the time, there wasn't, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. So it went on to win like, I don't know, a gajillion Tony Awards. It's like critically and commercially acclaimed. I've heard a lot of people say that it's like a completely different type of musical theater experience. And I always kind of like when shows do something a little bit different. So I'm glad that Hades Town has gotten to be such a success story. So after it was in Edmonton, I believe it went to uh, London for a little bit. And then I think somewhere else, it might have been Chicago. And then it did eventually go on to Broadway. So there are two different cast recordings for Hades Town. There's an off-Broadway cast recording and there's a Broadway cast recording. A uh, quick note from editing me. It wasn't officially an off-Broadway cast recording. It was a live cast recording, but I believe it was done when it was off-Broadway, but it doesn't specify that. Some of the cast members stayed the same. Some of them changed. Um, some of the songs stayed pretty much the same. There are some songs that are a little bit different because that's another thing that happens. You know, when you do an out-of-town tryout, off-Broadway stuff, you kind of see what works, and sometimes the show gets reformulated a little bit, but generally the show is fairly similar to what it was, at least as far as the recording goes of this show. The other thing I can say is that all of these shows, I believe, if you dig around on YouTube at some point, there will be a Tony 
award performance from each of these shows. So with the Tony Awards, whatever musicals that year are nominated for the Best Musical Award, they usually perform a small musical number. Sometimes it's one song, sometimes it's, it's, it's like a little medley of songs from the show. The one for Hades Town was like amazing. If I go to Broadway, if I go to New York City anytime in the next like year, two years, whatever, if Hades Town is still playing when I'm when I go to New York City next time I go, and I don't have any definitive concrete plans to go to New York City, but if it's on Broadway, that's like the first show I'm getting tickets to. Because it's the only kind of newer show that's come up recently that I've been like, yeah, I really want to go see this. Now that's not to say that the other shows on Broadway that are newer aren't good shows, but this is the one that like I really want to see. I would highly recommend listening to the cast recording. I mean, listen to both the off-Broadway and the Broadway cast. I just have the Broadway cast on the playlist because I didn't want to put like six different versions of the same musical. I kind of limited myself to one. A lot of musicals have more than one cast recording, so that's not super uncommon. Anyway, long story short, uh, listen to Hades Town. It sounds amazing. Go see it on Broadway if you can. I believe there's going to be a London production if there hasn't been already. At some point, I'm sure it'll come touring here, but, you know, I, I don't know if that'll happen anytime soon, especially because Edmonton got the out-of-town tryouts for the show early on, so they might not send it to Edmonton right away. They might tour it in other places in the U.S. and Canada first. I don't know. Um, but yeah, if I get a chance to see Hadestown, I'm going to do it because it's incredible. At least from the very limited knowledge I have of watching one Tony Award performance, listening to the cast recording, and watching the trailer for the musical over and over again. Alright, so the next musical I'm going to talk about is Spring Awakening. Now, Spring Awakening is not playing on Broadway. It debuted on Broadway in 2006 and it closed, I think, in 2009. In 2016, there was a short revival, Spring Awakening, which featured, it was by Deaf West, so it featured a variety of deaf cast members as well as hearing cast members. So I heard really great things about that show, and despite not knowing sign language, American Sign Language at all, if I'd had the chance to see the show when it was on, I would have gone, but of course I don't live in New York City, and it makes it kind of hard. Now, Spring Awakening recently had a one-night-only benefit concert where it was a reunion with all the cast members from the show, and they did a concert version of the show, so that's basically standing up and singing with very minimal staging, no set pieces or anything like that. And there was a documentary done by HBO about this where they interviewed cast members and they talked about doing the show back in the day and all this stuff. So I have watched that, and there are little snippets of the show in that documentary, but there isn't the full show. So again, I haven't seen the full show of this, and there isn't a full version. Spring Awakening is not a sung through musical, so we do kind of need to read a little bit of the Wikipedia page to get a sense of the show, but from the songs you can kind of get an understanding. The interesting thing about Spring Awakening, it is based on a German play written back in like 1899 or something like that, by a German playwright named Franz Wedekind. Sorry, I don't speak great German. But it tells the story of a group of teenagers, kind of, it's like a coming-of-age story. And it deals with some pretty friggin' heavy subject matter. So this is not a show that you will take your kids to. There's another show you can take kids to that I'm going to talk about here. Spring Awakening is not that show. I would say if you're under the age of 10, probably not for you. Because it deals with things like suicide, with abortion, with sexual assault. But it's the story of these kids and them, or teenagers I should say, and kind of the spring awakening 
hence the title, of their lives and, you know, sexuality, that sort of thing. So it's a little bit heavier of a show, but it isn't um, a musical with a very heavy score. It's got a rock score composed by Duncan Sheik. If you lived in the 90s, you might remember he had this one hit wonder song called Barely Breathing. If you hear it, you'll probably recognize it. And Book and Lyrics by Stephen Sater. It went through like workshops, it went through off-Broadway, and then eventually moved to Broadway, and it won a bunch of Tony Awards. Several people in the cast went on to do some pretty big things. Most notably, Leah Michelle plays Vendela, and then Jonathan Groff plays Melchior, who are the two main leads. It is a pretty intense show, but it's really good. It's kind of a little emo-y for its time. I've heard people say that like this is the emo mu- musical, and it kind of is, even though it's not. But I quite liked Spring Awakening, and I could have seen it when I went to New York City for the first time in 2006, but I was there with my mom. We were there to visit her pen pal in from England for the New York Open, US Open tennis championship. She does tennis stuff. I'm not I don't really understand tennis very well, but she does like official things with tennis. Very big deal. And so we went to meet her because my mom's been pen pals with this person since she was like seven years old. They started doing like a pen pal thing and they've kept in contact. Her pen pal would even send me and my brother like birthday cards and little gifts and stuff at Christmas and birthdays and holidays. And so it was kind of her trip and she brought me along because she knew I'd always wanted to go to New York City. And so I basically was just like, whatever you want to do, the only thing I want to do is I want to see a musical on Broadway. Because my thing was, I just want to go to New York City once. If I can go once, then like, that's the dream. And then of course, I ended up going back two more times after that. Spring Awakening was playing, but I also kind of had listened to the cast recording and I kind of figured it probably wouldn't be the sort of show that my mom would love. And just knowing what the show is about, I kind of felt like it might be a little bit uncomfortable to watch a show like that with my mom. So I opted to see Hairspray instead. And you know what? Hairspray was great. I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, I quite like Spring Awakening. It is a little dark. It's quite sad. But there are a couple fun numbers in the show too. So it's not entirely like a downer musical the entire time. But it also isn't the kind of thing like, let's go take grandma to see Spring Awakening. At least that's the way I feel. If it ever comes to where I live, I would love to see it. The thing with Spring Awakening, because it has a pretty heavy subject matter, I feel like it's a harder show for schools and community theaters to do. Because most of the time when a school is putting on a musical or community theater is putting on a musical, they want to do something that's age appropriate for everybody. And they want to do something where you go, oh, I've heard of that show. It sounds fun. You know, maybe you haven't seen Annie, but you've heard of Annie. So let's go see Annie because it's supposed to be a really popular musical. So a show that deals with the heavy subject stuff that Spring Awakening does, as much as I would love to see this show, and maybe there is a performing arts school that'll put it on at some point around where I live, but it's a little bit heavier subject matter to get just your average local community theater to be like, let's put this on. Now, some of you in the know may have heard that there's supposed to be a movie adaptation of Spring Awakening. I will believe that when I see it, because the thing with movie musical adaptations, there's always rumors of about a lot of them, and until they actually start production, it's hard to verify if those are actually going to happen. Lots of stuff can fall through. I think there's been a uh, movie adaptation of Wicked in the works since about 2004, and the musical debuted in 2003. Maybe at some point I'll get to see it, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. I mean, call me a liar, maybe I'll be wrong, and next year there'll be a movie adaptation of Spring Awakening, and it'll be like, oh, perfect, there it is. So we're going to stay in the year 2006, and the next musical we're talking about also debuted in this year. Now, this is a musical that actually isn't on Deezer. It was one of the only musicals 
actually one of the only albums that I had when I transferred over from Spotify to Deezer that wasn't on here. So I will link to another place where you can get it. Unfortunately, it's not on Deezer. Grey Gardens. We're going to talk about Grey Gardens. That's that's a very long way of me putting the musical we're going to talk about. So Grey Gardens debuted on Broadway in 2006. Again, probably had some off-Broadway productions. It won a couple Tony Awards, um, actually one for, I believe, Best Actress and one for Supporting Actress in 2006. But it's one of those musicals that I think has kind of been forgotten about. It closed July 29, 2007 after 307 performances. It was nominated for 10 Tony Awards, and so it won two for basically for the main actors, and it also won a Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Actress in a Musical. So Grey Gardens is basically the true story. It's based on the true story of Edith Ewing Bouvier Beale, aka Big Edie, and her daughter Edith Bouvier Beale, aka Little Edie, who happened to be the aunt and cousins of Jacqueline Kennedy. In the 1970s, there was a documentary called Grey Gardens, and it was about these two women and their home, aka Grey Gardens, that was the, the name of the mansion in the East Hamptons where they lived. It tracked their lives at the time, and they had gotten to be, it's, it's a little bit sad of a story because Back in the day, they were very high society, and then eventually they kind of got into a state of hoarding, and I mean, at the time, there wasn't really much for mental health support systems, but you can see the mental health of both of these women is not very good. So the musical takes place in kind of two different storylines, and it's not a sunk through musical, so I would suggest reading the Wikipedia page or watching the documentary to get a little bit of some context. The first act takes place in the 1940s when Little Edie is 24 and Big Edie is 47. And the second act takes place in the 1970s, about 30-some years later, when Little Edie is 56 and Big Edie is 79. So one thing I should note, um, coming back editing this episode, is that the documentary from the 1970s, like that's sort of the basis for act two, but I don't want to make the assertion that everything that happens in the musical is 100% completely real. I think some artistic license might have been taken, but I don't know for sure because I haven't seen the musical before. Now there's an interesting thing with this musical where there's kind of a dual role that's done. So for the first act, Big Edie, who is the mother, is played by Christine Ebersole, and then Christine Ebersole played Little Edie, and then Mary Louise Wilson plays Big Edie in the second act. So the same person who played the mother in the first act is the younger daughter in the second act. It sounds kind of weird, but it actually works out to be really well. And both Christine Ebersole and Mary Louise Wilson were, they, they won Tony Awards for their performances. It's kind of an interesting musical. It's one that I think, again, won a few awards and it got some critical success and stuff, but it wasn't like a huge smash. I think Spring Awakening kind of swept the Tonys that year. And so sometimes when that happens, other musicals kind of fall to the wayside, and this is one of those ones that did. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the most obscure musical out there by any means, but if you're asking the average person who doesn't really know a lot about musicals to name a song from Great Gardens, they're gonna be like, what? What are you talking about? There's been a few international productions, there's been some tours and stuff. I haven't seen a production of this musical close to where I live. Again, there is the 1975 documentary, and then I think there was a movie adaptation about the documentary. I believe it starred Drew Barrymore. Another note from Editing Eloise, I totally couldn't remember the other actress who was in the 
Grey Gardens biopic. Uh, so Little Edie was played by Drew Barrymore and Big Edie was played by Jessica Lange. And for those of you who might be wondering why I didn't mention wanting to go see Grey Gardens when I was in New York City in 2006, it's because I didn't really know about the musical at the time. I mean, it was playing on Broadway, but I was kind of more into Spring Awakening and Hairspray at the time, and so I didn't really get into Grey Gardens until well after the show closed, so it wasn't even on my radar when I went to New York City. It's a show that I quite like. It is a show that's a little bit, I mean, it, the first act is takes place in the 1940s, and they sing some songs in that first act that at the time of that year were probably very popular parlor songs to sing, but in today's society is a little bit, uh, a little bit more touchy. So I don't necessarily know if this is a show that a lot of people be itching to revive at any point in time, but I would like to see it. I quite enjoyed listening to some of these songs and the performances by both Christine Ebersole and Mary Louise Wilson, at least even just on this cast recording, were fantastic. I didn't listen to it often enough that I super missed having it on an easy to use streaming platform that I subscribe to, but it is a show that I did quite enjoy listening to and I would like to see it at some point, but again, this is one of those ones. I think out of all the shows that I'm going to talk about, this and the last one, there's a lot less likely of a chance of me seeing this in person. But hey, I would love to be proven wrong. So Universe, if you want to prove me wrong and some local community theater wants to do a production of Grey Gardens, I would be super excited to see that. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to go back in time a little bit more and we're going to feature a show that's a little bit, you know, no, this is a thousand percent family fun entertainment for everybody, and it's a really cute, sweet little show. We're going to talk about You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. The first Broadway production of a You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, which if you can't tell from the title, is based on the characters of the Charles Schultz Peanuts comic strip. You know, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Linus, Lucy, Sally, Schroeder, the whole gang. I mean, maybe not everybody in the Peanuts world, but a good portion of them, at least some of the main ones. The first production of this happened in 1967. It's it's a show that's been around for a while. I am more familiar with the 99 Broadway revival version that was done that starred Anthony Rapp as Charlie Brown, Roger Bart as Snoopy, and B.D. Wong as Linus, and Christian Chenoweth as Sally. Now, Christian Chenoweth actually won a Tony Award for this performance as Sally, and Roger Bart won a Tony Award for his performance as Snoopy. And... They also won the Drama Desk Award, and then the Drama Desk, they won an outstanding revival of a musical. You're Gonna Man Charlie Brown is not a sung through musical. It does have scenes of dialogue in between, but, you know, and I don't really even know what the plot of the musical is, because to me it seems more like a little comic strip. There's little scenes and little songs and stuff, and it's just a very cute little musical. Here's a quick note from Editing Eloise. I realized when I was doing the resource post for this episode that there was a you're a good man charlie brown tv special and it says that it's some sort of musical comedy special so i'm not sure if the episode this tv special is the same as the musical if the story and the characters and the songs are the same the tv special might be the basis for this musical unfortunately it doesn't look like there's anywhere you can watch it but i did list to the imdb page for it in the guide there's been a couple other revivals there was a 98 tour there was a benefit concert. There's an off-Broadway revival in 2016 for a little bit. But because it's a family-friendly show, I feel like this is one that uh, elementary school, maybe maybe not an elementary school, but like a high school could do this or a community theater could do this. And people would probably be a little bit more 
inclined to go like a general mainstream audience because they would go, oh, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. It's based on the Charlie Brown comics. I, I've seen those comics. I've watched the Christmas special. You're the great pumpkin patch Halloween one, whatever, right? You know, people are kind of familiar with the idea of this. This is a pretty lighthearted musical, especially compared to the other ones that I've listed in this episode. It's a family-friendly show. There's a few, like, solo numbers. Like, there's one song called Supper Time that Snoopy sings, which is basically Snoopy, the dog, getting very excited that it's supper time, and it's a really funny song. It's one of those songs, like, sometimes when somebody wins, so Kristen Chenoweth and Roger Bart both won for Featured Actress and Actor, in a musical. And sometimes with those Tony Awards, it's not like a main cast member. It's a it's a featured cast member. And sometimes there's you can listen to a cast recording and you can go, oh yeah, this song, this performance is 100% why this person won that award. And you listen to Supper Time and 100% that's why Roger Bart won. And then Sally has a song called My New Philosophy and that's 100% why Kristen Chenoweth won. There is a few differences between the original cast recording numbers and the numbers in the revival cast recording. It's a really cute show. I don't even really know what the plot is, like I said, between the songs. I just like the songs. They're very sweet. There's a couple solo numbers, but there's a couple group numbers. This isn't the kind of show that I would go out of my way to see. I mean, if I was in New York City and it was playing or something like that, maybe I'd go see it. There's a community theater that puts it on close to where I live, I would go see it. It's not the kind of show you're gonna go see and be like, oh my god, this is changing the the state of musical theater forever, the way something like, you know, Hamilton or Town is done. But it is a cute little show, and I quite enjoyed listening to the cast recording. I think out of all the shows that I'm mentioning for this episode, this is probably the one that most likely to be done by community theater close to where I live, but I actually haven't seen anybody do it. It's a little bit older of a show, too. Like I said, the revival was in 99, so it's been a while. Maybe they'll do another Broadway revival at some point. There are cast recordings for all three versions of the stage show. I have the 99 revival on the playlist that I'm using for reference for this show or this episode. The big difference between the 99 and the 67 original 67 production that I know of is the character of Sally was not in the original production. She was added for the revival. All the songs that she sings, My New Philosophy, and I think there was another one she had, aren't there. So it's a little bit different between the two that I know of, but I like the 99 revival. Honestly, I haven't listened to the 67 revival. Sometimes it happens, you get into a musical and you're like, I just like this one and I'm just gonna listen to it. Not that the other one's bad, it's just I haven't really listened to it. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. It's a cute little show, appropriate for, I believe, all ages because it's uh, Charlie Brown and Peanuts comic strip. So it's not dealing with the heavy subject matter that Spring Awakening is and it's not based on a really sad, true story that, like Grey Gardens. It's just a fun, cute little musical. Last and certainly not least, we are gonna talk about the show that is going to break my heart because I would I would love to be proven wrong for this last show. I would love there to be a touring production that comes or, you know, a community theater or even a professional theater near where I live because there are other professional theaters like the Citadel Theater, which was the theater where Hades Town was performed at. I would love for them to be like, hey, this year we're going to do this musical. That would just make me so happy. But I'm afraid in my heart of hearts that this is not going to happen. So this might be the only way I ever get to experience the show. And holy fucking shit, this is one of my favorite musicals. I'm not even just talking about, like, that I've listened to and never seen. I just mean, like, ever. So we're going to talk about, and I'm going to try not to, like, go on to a rat too much, about Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. 
It's a really long title. Sometimes this musical is just called The Great Comet. So if you see that, that's the musical it's referring to. This musical was one that I found out about, like, literally when it was on Broadway and then it, like, closed a month later. And I was living in Dublin at the time and there wasn't really going to be any way I was going to be able to see it. So in 2018, I went and saw Hamilton in London and it was great. And I was listening to the cast recording a whole lot because that's kind of usually what I do after I get into a musical is I, like, listen to the cast recording a lot and I knew I was getting to the point where I was going to wear it out a little bit and it's going to get a little tiring for me. So I was like, I got to find a new musical. So somehow, I think again, probably on Reddit because I'm subscribed to a couple of the Reddit musical threads or Broadway or one of those ones. Somebody was talking about this musical and they said it was such a good musical. So I thought, well, let's listen to it. Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812, it had an off-Broadway version and then eventually moved to Broadway, I think in 2017. It was nominated for a bunch of Tony Awards, but I don't know if it won any. No, it did win a couple. It won for scenic design. So Rachel Chavkin, who I believe did the direction for Hadestown, she did the direction for this show. Debuted on Broadway in like 2016, but had done off-Broadway stuff in workshops beforehand. Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 is based on an 80-page excerpt from the novel War and Peace by Tolstoy. If you're not familiar with that novel, I've never read it myself, but it is a massive novel that's like 1,200 pages long. So obviously you can't do the entire novel in one musical. Dave Malloy, who did the music book lyric for the whole show, chose this 80-page excerpt. I don't know why he chose this 80-page excerpt. And you might be thinking that that means you're not going to understand anything about the musical and you're going to have to listen to some audiobook of War and Peace before you watch the show to understand no, I can tell you, this is a song through musicals, so you can listen to this from the first song to the last song, and you can understand everything that happens in the musical. And when I tell you that I bawled my face off during the last couple songs of this musical, I bawled my face off during the last couple songs of this musical, you know what's happening for this musical. And in fact, I think I even talked about the opening number in my episode about opening numbers, because it's a really good, it's called Prologue, and it's a really good breakdown of all the characters, because you're starting off the musical halfway, I don't even know, it's halfway through the book at some point in the book and you don't know who all these characters are who's Pierre who's Natasha who's Sonia who's all these other people well the first song breaks it all down and gives you a little bit of a brief one-line description for each of the characters the score for this show is opera but also like EDM and like kind of dubstep and it's a really it's a really unique score it uses Russian folk music and one of the things I learned about the show when I kind of first discovered it is, I believe they did this with the off-Broadway and the Broadway production, but because it's war and peace, it takes place in Moscow, uses some Russian folk and classical music influences. They set up the staging to be like a Russian supper club. Some of the audience members, I don't even know if they were on stage or how this set and the staging worked, but they were kind of in the show but not like actually characters in the show or anything like that and the actors played musical instruments and all sorts of stuff like that there is only one spoken line of dialogue in the show so yeah it's pretty much all sung through the thing with this musical is it was nominated for the tony awards in 2017. this was the same year that dear evan hansen was nominated and dear evan hansen won a whole bunch of awards and again sometimes this happens sometimes there are years where you know it's kind of like the oscars where things are kind of split pretty evenly and one movie or one show wins a couple and wins a couple blah 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 and then there's some years where one show just wins a whole bunch and then all the other shows that come out that year kind of get a little bit overshadowed and unfortunately this was one of those shows it seemed to be an expensive show from the research that i've done to put on it was one that was a little harder for audiences not necessarily that a bad show but if i say hey let's go see a musical about war and peace your response is probably gonna be like no thank you 
but you should watch this musical. I mean, I want to watch this musical. I've listened to the song so many times. This was one of those shows I really became obsessed with. But the interesting thing with this show is kind of closed with some controversy, and I'll get to that in a second. But after it closed, Rachel Chafkin, who directed this show, went on to do Hades Town, and then Amber Gray, who played the character of Helene in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, went on to play Persephone in Hades Town, in both the off-Broadway and Broadway productions, and she uh, just recently, I believe, left the Broadway production. In the off-Broadway production, the character Pierre was played by Dave Malloy, who did the music, lyrics, all that stuff, and then the Broadway production was played by Josh Groban. Here's kind of part of the controversy. So the show itself was pretty expensive to put on. Critics seemed to love it. Audiences who saw it seemed to love it, but again, it was one of those shows that I think was a little bit harder for mainstream audiences to be convinced to go see. And then something happened, I don't know exactly the timeline and who was in charge of this because Dave Malloy did the lyrics book and all that stuff, but he wasn't necessarily in charge of all of the, you know, production. And, you know, there, there were other producers involved that I'm sure were made this decision. So I'm going to try not to butcher the pronunciation. But Okiariti Anadawaran, who is most known for playing Hercules Mulligan and the dual role of James Madison in Hamilton, was asked to step in and be a replacement for Josh Groban when he left. Because when somebody stars on Broadway, they don't do the role for six years at a time because doing a musical live on stage seven nights a week plus a matinee is really tough. So he was asked to do the musical, but somehow something got messed up, and Mandy Patinkin, who you might know, he was George Surratt in Sunday in the Park with George in the 1985 production of that musical. You might also know him as Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride and many other movies and TV films, TV shows he's been in, was asked to be Pierre. Now, I don't know if Oak, as he's known, was asked first, or if Mandy Patinkin was asked first, or how that happened, but basically people got really upset because Oak is a black actor, and they said, why did you offer this role to a black actor, and now you're taking away this role and giving it to Mandy Patinkin, who is a very well-known and very white actor. So that kind of became the issue, and I think by this time they said, you know, I don't know if that was the the reason, the entire reason for it being shut down, but it certainly didn't help. People were pretty upset, and you know what? Rightly so. Mandy Patinkin, he stepped down and said, you know what? This shouldn't have happened this way. I don't want to take over this role if this is how it's going to be, that kind of thing. He stepped down, and then eventually, I think, Oak did it for a little bit, and then it basically closed. But by this point, it hadn't really recuperated its box office costs, and there's other stuff involved and the reason why it closed as early as it did. But this incident, let's say, did not help at all. And it's really too bad because I hope people don't dismiss this musical because of this incident. I feel like they should have had Oak play the role for, you know, a few months or whatnot, and then brought in Mandy Patinkin, but I guess that was impossible. Maybe they were losing too much money, it just wasn't feasible to keep the show going. Sadly, the show closed, and it has had a couple international productions. There was one in Ecuador, there was one in Tokyo. There's discussions about doing productions in London and Korea. There was a production in Canada and Toronto, but it took place, or was going to be taking place last year, and it was shut down because of the pandemic. So that's the other thing too, right? The Panini has kind of changed a lot of things with musicals, but this is a show that, holy crap, do I love this show. Like, I just, I love this show. I really, I would really like to see this show. Especially, I think it would have been really cool to see this show on Broadway with the set as the whole Russian Supper Club kind of vibe. I think that would have been really cool. 
But again, I don't, that's not possible unless a time machine is invented. And then, yeah, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to go watch this show. Uh, I would love to have a local community theater do this production, even if they can't make it like a Russian supper club and they just have to do it like a straight theater, musical theater kind of show. But I don't know if that's ever going to happen. And that makes me really sad. So I'm just going to listen to the cast recording. It's a really, really good musical. I really liked it. Like the characters, like the story. I mean, when I say I like the characters, that doesn't mean that, like, I loved every character in the musical. It means the characters were interesting, and it was an interesting story, and it actually made me want to read War and Peace. So I took out, because it's in the public domain, I got the ebook for free, and I think I read about 50 pages, and then I was like, hmm, I think I'm gonna end probably just watch some miniseries based on War and Peace instead. But, you know, the, the book is there, so maybe I'll, I'll list any related book materials for this episode, too, since watching these musicals is at this moment in time as of this recording on june 9th 2022 is impossible somebody wants to prove me wrong and there's going to be a spring awakening musical movie adaptation or you know the citadel theater wants to put on hades town well probably not hades town but you know the great comet of 1812 or somebody wants to do great gardens or the community theater wants to put on Jurgen man charlie brown cool also i could win a trip to new york city and i'd go see hades town then is it impossible to see these shows? No, it's just not very probable for me at this moment in time in my life. But maybe for you, it would be possible. Maybe you're looking and you see a sign for some community theater schools putting on Your Good Man Charlie Brown. Go get tickets. Maybe you live in Japan and they're going to do Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. That's cool. Go see it. I mean, I, I would highly encourage it because I've really enjoyed listening to cast recordings of these shows. That's this episode. I hope you enjoyed, but I think, yeah, that's it for now, and thanks very much for listening. Have a great day!